0: Hello, and welcome once again to the Oklahoma Atheist Godcast. This is your host, Damian, and today we're going to be branching out a bit from our normal format. So, I was talking yesterday with Debbie Goddard, the director of African Americans for Humanism, which is one of the programs undertaken by the Council for Secular Humanism, and she explained to me that the humanist community is, demographically speaking, a bit uh, older and paler and highbrow than American culture in general a bit like the Green Party gubernatorial candidate recently dubbed Rich Whitey by the election officials of Illinois they say it was a typo anyway in an effort to rectify this this problem of uh, demographic uniformity within uh, the humanist and atheist movement I'm doing my part per Debbie Goddard's instructions to diversify our repertoire away from the, the typical older whiter guy with a PhD in the hard sciences or philosophy or neurology or some such. And and while guys like like Victor Stenger and and Sam Harris are indispensable to the movement, we need to reach out in new ways, in, in fresh ways to get the word out about humanism. And So today I don't bring you Victor Stenger or Sam Harris. I bring you Victor Harris a spoken word and open mic artist who spits hot truth about science and skepticism. He performs in Oakland, California, and this this is going to be a treat. This is a podcast-exclusive world premiere. Nobody's got to hear this before outside of California, so consider yourselves privileged, Okies. You are the first. Enjoy the show.
1: Oh, okay. What's your name? Where are you from? Uh, Victor Harris from Oakland, California. Oakland,
0: California. Came all the way out to Skepticon?
1: Came all the way out to Skepticon because it was free.
0: Yeah, do you guys not have big conferences on the West Coast?
1: Um, not skeptical ones, no. Um, we have, you know, we have a group in the East Bay, and We have a group in San Francisco that uh, does meetings. But, like, unfortunately, most atheist meetings, majority white old males. Oh,
0: yeah. Especially the humanist. Something about humanism attracts the old white men. <laughs> Possibly... An ideological thing, I
1: don't know. Perhaps. All right. Um, so the first poem is called Flight of the Navigator. It's a response to a uh, Thea's friend asking me where I got my moral guide from. Uh, and since navigators use compass, that's why the title. <clears throat> she asked of me how I could be G W O D if I do not believe in he that is supposed to be my lord and savior. What motivating force kept me from doing my darkest desires if I did not fear the retribution of an omniscient being? But I ask you, how many atheists have been rocked by scandal when with they were the vandal upon the body of an underaged boy, only to have their organization deny, hide, and defend these men from the retribution due them by the laws of the land? How many secularists practice hypocrisy, preaching the nobility of poverty from the pulpit while living richly off the donated dollars of their impoverished flock? How many skeptics abuse others verbally and physically simply because they believe? I mean, what war was ever waged in the name of humanism? How can religion hold morality under lock and key if its leaders can't agree on what is moral? You want to discuss religion, religion and morality? Then let's talk about the Crusades, the Inquisition, the Implicit Agreement to the Slave Trade. Let's discuss how missionaries are the footpaths of colonialism. Let's discuss Pope Pius XII's silent consent to the Nazi movement. Let's discuss religious men making martyrs of innocents using planes as manned missiles against the land of infidels. Let's discuss Pope Benedict XVI's proclamation that condoms promote the spread of AIDS in infected Africa. Let's discuss the papacy, the excommunication of Brazilian mother and doctors for performing an abortion on raped nine-year-old impregnated with twins by her stepfather, Right, religiously, stepdaddy walks away scot-free. Let's discuss religious anti abortion advocates advocating the assassination of doctors for performing legal operations. Let's discuss Pat Robertson's assertion that the destruction of Haiti was caused by the slaves signing a pact with the devil to free them from their former French masters. Let's discuss how religion keeps the masses on their asses, happy with the here and now, believing that their kingdom will come in the hereafter. Let's discuss how religion convinces people to support the political parties who do not work in their own best interest. Let's discuss how religion makes second-class citizens of women. Everything that goes wrong in the Bible can be traced back to a woman from the Garden of Eden on down. So question my morality because I don't believe, but I think you should defend yours based on the history of those who follow he that you most wish to be like. But you'll demand of me to take the followers of faith on a case-by-case basis while practicing your prejudice towards atheists based on some preconceived notions of those who don't believe. Get to know us personally. Ask of me how I could be G W O D if I do not believe in he that is supposed to be my Lord and Savior. Ask what motivating force keeps me from doing my darkest desires if I do not fear the retribution of an omniscient being. And I will tell you what I do believe. I believe that all of humanity is connected, that what happens half a world away may one day affect me or my seed. I believe that deeds done behind closed doors between two consenting adults is nobody's business but their own. I believe that religion is just a division perpetuated by the powers that be to keep you and me from focusing on what really matters most, just like race, just like gender, and just like sexuality. I believe that morality doesn't come from God or Allah or Yahweh or Muhammad or Moses or Jesus or the bible or the quran or the torah or religion or spirituality but is instead a basic human element that allows us to further the existence of our species i believe that all the pain and suffering i've seen in my family and indeed all over the world is not caused by an omnipotent omnipresent omniscient being that is just testing us or can't be bothered to help but is instead something we can all work to eliminate I believe that no God means the possibility of less suffering in the future. I believe that if all of humanity were like me, we would see that every species is connected and be better stewards of this one earth. So if you dare question my morality because I don't believe, be prepared to defend yours because you do.
0: Hell yeah. Hell yeah. So where do you draw the line between spoken word and hip-hop? It seems to me if I got a decent producer in there, I could put some some beats behind that.
1: You could definitely, yeah, probably. Um, I'm not, I'm not one, but if I, had, <laughs> if I
0: had a decent producer, I could do that.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, hip-hop tends to be more structured in its uh, rhythm and meter, whereas spoken word you can kind of do whatever you feel like, and there's a lot more leniency in rhyme scheme and stuff like that.
0: Okay, I got you. It's important to clear that up for my mostly old white audience
1: <laughs> yes definitely um but yeah it's definitely a close relationship between the two right
0: on. you uh, want to do another one
1: sure all right um this one is entitled say anything it speaks about black people's clinging to their religion i'm
0: sensing a trend here where you're naming all your stuff after 80s movies
1: yes i all my atheist poems have 80s title themes um Started out with Flight of the Navigator, and then I just kind of like, okay. The next one was uh, it was Falcor as my homeboy.
0: <laughs> <Yes. laughs> that is fantastic.
1: And um, so luck I was dragon, like,
0: you don't fuck with the luck dragon. Yeah.
1: So I was like, okay, that's that's yeah, we're gonna go with the 80s themes, and you know, <laughs> kind of ties back to the childhood. So.
0: All right. All
1: right. Now, um, so yeah, say anything. It distresses me how tenaciously my people hold on to Jesus, when God, Jesus, Jehovah, and Allah never fell from the lips of our ancestors as they were trapped in the bellies of boats bringing them across the Atlantic. Raping them of the only home they ever knew, these same gods enabled our enslavers to see us as nothing but chattel. Below human beings because their holy books, falsely attributed to the hands of gods written by feeble-minded men who never walked more than a hundred miles outside of their villages. Men who had no knowledge of distant lands containing people who did not resemble them. Distant lands containing people who resemble me. My ancestors were victims of a misunderstanding. Victims of an arrogance that allowed men to lack even the will to hate those they enslaved because hate is something reserved equals and their gods gave them domain over land and animals. So if my ancestors were only ever seen as animals in these men's eyes, then why would they waste energy hating me and my kind? My ancestors prayed to different gods who, as far as I can tell, never lifted a finger to help them, who, as far as they could tell, never lifted a finger to help them so with only figures that they would adopt the god of their enslavers who, as far as I can tell, has never lifted a finger to help us has never attempted to dissuade his followers from practicing human trafficking. In fact, a careful reading of Leviticus chapter 25 verse 44-46 instructs the chosen ones to buy bondsmen and bondsmaids from neighboring nations. It tells them that the offspring of these purchased people should be passed down in perpetuity, but that they should not rule over their brethren in the same manner. Well-mannered men and cultured women would attend slave auctions on sunny Sunday afternoons fresh from church because these were social events watching men, women, and children sold to the highest bitter. Bitter feelings swarm deep in the bellies of black men and black women as they watch their families sold away, powerless to rebel compelled by Sunday's sermon to honor their enslavers. Today's reading comes from the book of Colossians, chapter 3, verse 22, which tells you to honor those who are your earthly masters. With singleness of heart, fearing the Lord, whatever your task, work heartily. And I can hardly believe that we have shaken off the shackles of slavery, and yet remain shackled so willingly to the religion of our former masters. Accepting their assertions of a loving and benevolent God as they aim pistol and whip at our naked flesh. Accepting their assertions of an omniscient and omnipotent God as they aim community and belonging at our raped, raw feelings of being, with us refusing still to confront the notion that a God who is supposed to be compassionate and caring allowed one culture to enslave another for economic gain that a God who is omniscient would have foresaw the downfall of Adam and Eve, would not have given a serpent the power of speech, would not have placed temptation so easily within reach, that an omnibenevolent God allows atrocities like Hades to happen, at times being given credit, refusing to edit the record to reflect more favorably on belief in a deity that an all-powerful God allows evil to exist in a world that is inhabited by what are supposed to be his most favored creations. My ancestors prayed to different gods who, as far as I could tell, never lifted a finger to help them. Who, as far as they could tell, never lifted a finger to help them. So it only figures that we would adopt the God of our enslavers who, as far as I can tell, has never lifted a finger.
0: Fantastic. We had this guy, he came and spoke in Oklahoma City. His his name is uh, the Reverend Stephen L. Craft. Mm-hmm yeah Stephen Lewiscraft, so he's big time conservative. He spoke in Oklahoma City on christian mora- the topic of Christian morality and America's tradition of freedom mm-hmm. and I got in a huge argument <laughs> with my parents about this I'm like I'm sorry, but when I think of America and freedom and Christianity, the first thing that comes to my mind slavery. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we got in a huge argument over that i'm like i'm it, it, how can you, how can you say that your tradition fosters freedom? You know, if you, you, have you, you've read history, right? You <laughs> wait, um, <laughs> that drove me batshit insane. Uh, oh, uh, I just had to share that with you. It was, it's very frustrating. How can he, uh, how can he talk about America and freedom? And, uh, yeah. And Christianity. It, it drove me crazy. Christianity. Oh. okay. Yeah. So I was talking to Debbie, uh, you know, about, uh, the African American community does uh, seem to be much more religious than uh, American culture generally yeah and I was just wondering if you had any any other thoughts on that like why does that why does that happen Is it, is it because it, it, is there's the central cultural nexus in, in the black community or is it, I,
1: I think the the community aspect is definitely a large part of it. Um, I think it's just because especially Christianity, it reinforces the underdog. Like, you know, Moses led his people out to the Promised Land after they were enslaved by the Pharaoh. So, you know, we're waiting for that. Okay. For someone to lead us to the Promised Land. We lost. So it has a narrative in there that really works. Yeah. And, you know, we're the underdogs. Like, we're, there's so many uh, uh, black theists that feel that we're the chosen people. And, like, you know, that we're going to be saved and Taken to the Promised Land, I, I think that's part of the the reason that they cling.
0: Yeah, and if you feel hopeless, you can, you can look to, yeah, these solutions that if you feel like there's no hope in the world, if you feel like the world, is, you can look to the other world. You can
1: look to the yeah, world. you, you don't worry about what happens to you in this world. You're going to be better off when you pass. Yeah, you want to do one more? Yeah. Yeah. I'll do Falcor as my homeboy.
0: Falcor is my homeboy. This one I've never heard before.
1: This one you've never heard, yes. An allegory. I believe in dragons. Not the metaphorical kind, but the metaphysical kind. The mystical kind that flies through skies and raids villages unless virgins are sacrificed. The magical kind that breathes fire and does battle with wizened wizards wearing pointy hats and holding staffs. I believe in dragons because I can see evidence of their descendants scattered around the earth. You call them dinosaurs, but I know the truth. They are dragons who never lived long enough to learn how to fly. But my dragon survived so he could pass the truth on to me. And I, as his righteous prophet, am here to pass it on to you my dragon is the son of his father. Before there was anything, there was nothing but the father of my dragon. He coughed up a hairball and caught the sun aflame. A few millennia later, he had seven bowel movements to form the planets, but he had plans for the earth. See, the earth was special, so he was careful in what he ingested, making sure it was right for life. And now, in order to protect us, his most precious creation, he carries us through the universe in his claws. My dragon will one day poop planets, but for now he evacuates asteroids into the atmosphere. Scientists have been fooled into thinking they come from space, but I know the truth, and now so do you. My dragon did damage when he was younger, demanding sacrifices from believers and death to non-believers, but now he is a kinder, gentler deity. He lives in the hills behind my house, and he protects me as his righteous prophet, and I give him thanks and praise when he uses his magic to make things go my way. And I plead for forgiveness when his angry footfalls causes the earth to quake. Science attempts to tell me that he doesn't exist because he has no influence on his environment. That there is no fecal matter congruent with a large lizard living in the immediate vicinity. That there is not enough food that exists in the ecology to feed one as large as he. But my dragon defies science. My dragon lives outside the scope of science. My dragon is magic. See, physicists attempt to tell me that a dragon, large enough to make the earthquake, would need to be visible from space. And I reply with, magic. They try to tell me that his wings would need to be immense in order to lift one so large. And I reply with, magic. They try to tell me that fire could not physically exist in a lizard. That flammable expectorant is not enough to cause dragon breath, but an ignition system is needed as well. And I reply with, magic. Friends and family plead with me to get help. They say that the way I go on about dragons, I must be crazy. And I can see that some of you agree with that assessment. But consider that every inhabited continent has legends about dragons. Consider that every human culture tells tales about these great beasts. If you would only consider that there have been millions of books written about these winged worms. If you only had an ounce of faith in the existence of my dragon, you would see that the evidence is irrefutable. Well... It was irrefutable until I reached middle school when I had my first science class and learned the scientific method. You postulate a hypothesis, arrange a test to check the validity of your hypothesis, and if it isn't valid, you must come up with a new hypothesis. But if it holds true, you need to support your findings and experiment for peer review. See, science tells us how the natural world works and my dragon was admittedly untestable. Despite the mountains of mythologies, they had no foundation in reality. My dragon's existed became questionable. Then I hit high school and learned about biology, the way the human embryo progresses through the stages of the evolution in utero, from single-celled organism to full-fledged human being. Then my irrefutable evidence got a little shaky, because there was no need for me to be descended from Atreyu and the Impress. Then I got to college, and learned about radiometric argon dating, the way an object's age can be determined by how much argon remains in its structure, and did some of my own research. I read the evidence and formula for the Big Bang, and by then, my dragon had all but disappeared. Replaced by reason, I am more amazed now by my minuscule place in the universe, my own existence and its improbability." To quote Richard Dawkins, we are going to die, and that makes us the lucky ones. Most people are never going to die because they are never going to be born. The potential people who could have been here in my place, but who will in fact never see the light of day, outnumber the sand grains of Arabia. Certainly those unborn ghosts include greater poets than Keats, scientists greater than Newton. We know this because the set of possible people allowed by our DNA so massively exceeds the set of actual people. In the teeth of these stupefying odds it is you and I and our ordinariness that are here. This is the way my belief in dragons dissipated into skepticism as maturity took me. There is a quote I read in a collection of mythologies that has stayed with me through the years. When I was a child, I spoke like a child thought like a child, and reason like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. And yet, you continuously attempt to convince me that your deities are real.
0: So, oh, I've been to spoken word things. I've, you know, I've been to that. I've never heard anything remotely like this. I've heard stuff about the abortion that this person had one time, and how her boyfriend wasn't supportive. You know, I've heard all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Personal stories, stories of triumph and pain, but I've never heard people spitting science. At <laughs> it's kind of blowing my mind here.
1: Yeah, it's. Um, What's it,
0: how's it received?
1: It's actually received very well, um, mostly because uh, I mean, I the open mic that I go to is mostly attended by people that you know believe or practice or say they believe or whatever. Um, but like, I've been going to it for. Uh, four years now I'm also the DJ there so like the crowd knows me they That's know sweet. my poetry and like I was doing love poems for a good year and a half two years before I ever started doing the atheist poems and um, so like they already knew me they know my character and so when I started doing the atheist poems like they're not blunt they're not like bashing you over the head, trying to convert you. No, well, not all of them. Some of them are. Um are, but you know, most of them. They're just I'm defending myself. I'm defending my position. Right. And so like, and a lot of people kind of they connect with me pointing out the bad parts of religion because they've looked at it and they kind of shake their head like, you know, that's not me. Like, I don't do that stuff. I don't agree so I'm with religious,
0: it. Religious, but I'm not an asshole. Yeah. Like like, yeah.
1: I'm for gay rights. I'm for you know a woman's right to choose. Right. Um, so typically, it's received very well, um, and surprisingly, there's usually like one or two atheists in the audience that will come up at the end of the night. And be like I really liked your poetry, and I totally identify with, with what you said. Thank you very much for giving us a voice.
0: Yeah, it's a personal struggle too. I mean, it's, I mean, I know a lot of spoken word performances about personal struggles people have been through. This is one of them. This yeah. is, it's it's difficult to think your way out of, you know, what your whole culture, your whole family, yes. in some cases, oh, you know, your whole upbringing has taught you how to think.
1: Definitely, yeah. yeah it's yeah. It's definitely a struggle. Um, I was lucky that my mother's also atheist. Oh, as is my really? brother, yeah. Oh, that's so fantastic. I already had a nice support group.
0: I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go into my story. Not about me. I'll tell you. I'll tell
1: you about it later. Did you okay. want to do anything else? Um, I'll do one more. Uh, I'll do another one you haven't heard yet Um, this is like my most heavily science one that I did Um, at the open mic that I do for a little while there we were doing (coughs) um, writing prompts for uh, a section of the open mic called the joint and what would happen is you know you sign your name up on the list and the host would send you three or four words that Or ideas that you had to include in your poetry. Um, And the first one, or this one rather. I think the writing prompt was like God, death, and life, and something else. I can't remember what the fourth was. So yeah, this is like my response to that prompt. Wow, okay. It's called Weird Science. I am an amalgamation of milliseconds. A compilation of coincidences, a collection of infinitely small spans of time that separates me from the possibility of my bloodline. I have managed to outrun 500 million of my brethren and cistern to be here today, continuing a chain of happenstance that began moments after the Big Bang brought the universe into being. Matter and energy cannot be created or destroyed so the same molecules that make up me in this instance have been in existence for over 13 billion years. We are heavenly. But there is no godly hand evident in the creation of man. I could instead trace evidence of my being into the cosmos. The same elements that make me unique have been sourced to create the universe. I mean, forget Jesus. Stars died. Galaxies gave their lives to form my fingertips. How could I not find wonder in waking up? Be more amazed that each day I open my eyes, each day I'm granted more time on this little blue marble floating through the vast emptiness of space. I am in awe of life. To quote Carl Sagan, I find it elevating and exhilarating to discover that we live in a universe which permits the evolution of molecular machines as intricate and subtle as we. I am left breathless by my understanding that my continuance is an example of the improbable versus the impossible, and despite what some might think, this gives my life more meaning, makes each day more precious, lends weight and reality to the precious actuality of each person I allow into my life because I see that they are an amazing amalgamation of milliseconds, a compilation of coincidences, a collection of infinitely small spans of time that separates them from the possibility of their their bloodline. So I offer assistance where I'm able, compassion when I can, and a hug when life's weight proves too great for them to stand because these, because these memories will be the markers of my legacy, allowing me to exist for eternity, or at least a few years past my mental exit from this planet, that moment when my atoms are reconnected with the cosmos. I live my life relaxed and happy because I could be gone tomorrow. To quote Stephen Hawking, when your expectations are reduced to zero, you truly appreciate everything you have.
0: Okay. So you got Lawrence Krauss in there, you got Stephen Hawking, you got Carl Sagan. Yes. Tell me who you've been reading.
1: (laughs) Uh, actually, I haven't read any Sagan yet. I really need to. Um, I've read Dawkins. Uh, I just picked up Ben Goldacre's book. Um, Barker. Yeah. Actually, yeah. I really need to read Hawking. Um, I, I like quotes, so that's like, I don't necessarily read the whole book. I just, I find quotes, like search Steve Hawking quotes or search Richard Dawkins What's quotes. Doing, yeah, and um, I actually start that off with a, a Neil deGrasse Tyson quote. Um, what did he say? Uh, hang on.
0: We really need to get him in one of our, one of our meetings of, uh, you know. Definitely,
1: like especially for skepticism. He definitely. Especially
0: for skepticism, he doesn't have to come out against God if he's yeah. comfortable with that. In Public? I mean, he,
1: he's not, he says he's uh, agnostic, I think.
0: <laughs> sure, he is.
1: But yeah, I started off with uh, we he are connected. wants to
0: remain effective as a uh, yeah. public science figure.
1: Right. Um, we are connected to each other biologically, the earth chemically, and the cosmos atomically. Neil deGrasse Tyson. All right. Yeah.
0: Props. This is going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. All right. You're welcome. Very much. Nice. Appreciate it. So there you have it, guys. That's it for this week. Uh, let it not be said that I've never tried to bring Oakland to the Okies. Tune in next time for more of what went down at Skepticon. If you'd like to have a discussion about today's show, you can do that at blog.oklahomaatheists.com or you can send me feedback at podcast at Com. Have a blessed week.